0: that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in Him Have life. Nothing you can do. You've been bitten by sin. You can try hard as you will. You can ignore the problem and say it's really not a problem. But unless you look and live to the one lifted up on the cross, you will die. And many of those people in those tents, I'm sure, thought it was absolute foolishness because the Bible tells us many did not believe, many chose not to believe. And they died and they perished.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Broge, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Understanding the Second Birth. Thus far, Pastor Carl has addressed the need and nature of the second birth And today, we will close with the necessities of the second birth. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues.
0: So what does it mean to be born of water? Well, some say it refers to baptism. Some take a sacramental view of the phrase. Martin Luther argued that being born of the water was infant baptism and that God infused grace in the waters of baptism. Now, he said in that sense that it led a man to faith. Now, Luther was not a heretic, but he misunderstood. He was a Catholic for a long time and trying to work his way through a number of different issues. And so he put a different spin on it. Unlike the Catholic Church, it says baptism in the Baltimore Catechism washes away sin and instills salvation to the soul. Luther said that infant baptism gave prevenient grace, that is pre-salvation grace. So when a parent baptized their little infant that God... uh, put a prevenient, a pre-salvation grace so that later on they would want to consider the claims of the Lord because he knew that man was dead in sin and thus God took the first move, that man couldn't be saved. The only problem is the rest of the New Testament doesn't teach that prevenient grace comes to infant baptism. And the other problem is there's not a single verse in all of the Bible where an infant is ever baptized. Some say water here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Well, it is true that John uses water as a reference to the Spirit in John 7, but the context here doesn't bear that out. The argument would make no sense. Some say it's a reference to John's baptism, that unless man is is repentant and born of the Spirit. Well, it is true that unless you repent, Jesus said you will likewise perish, but again, the context doesn't bear it out that this is a reference to repentance. Some say it's a reference to the Word of God, since the Word of God is like a cleansing instrument. And it's likened to water in Titus chapter 2. It is, but not in this text of Scripture. The best thing you need to do is look carefully at the context. Let the Scripture speak for itself. There's been a lot of ingenious interpretations of what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. The church fathers, those closest to the apostles, were unanimous, That water here was a reference to physical birth. And I think they're right because the context bears it out. When you were first born, physically born, your mother's water broke and you came into this world. But physical birth is not enough to make you right with God. You must be born spiritually. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be born even a Jew You must be born again. Now, follow the argument here. Let's look at the flow of thought. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born twice, born from above, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. you got to be born twice, Nicodemus, if if you're going to see and enter God's kingdom. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? I don't understand this thought of being born twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Let me explain, Nicodemus. You were born physically, but I'm not talking about physical birth as your question seems to indicate. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Nicodemus, you must be both born both physically and spiritually. You must be born of both water and the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your first birth. That's the physical birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. That's your second birth from above when the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit you. Flesh gives birth to, sp- to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Physical birth is one thing. Spiritual birth is another. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born two times. Now, Jimmy Carter didn't think this up. Some people, oh, we're born again. Where is this in the Bible back in the 70s? And it became popular. No, it was original with the Lord Jesus, the term, though its teaching goes all the way back, as we'll see in a moment, to the Old Testament. So understand being born again is not just a nice thing. It's a necessary thing. It's not something just for Baptists and Pentecostals. It's true for every person. Now, I'm not saying that all of us will be born again in the same way, that all of us will have some kind of Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul had. I'm not even saying that all of us can pinpoint precisely when that birth took place. Now, it is true, it takes place in a moment's time when you depart from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But not everyone can remember precisely. And God does not give assurance in the New Testament on your ability to pinpoint a day. In fact, I despise all kinds of stereotypes. But I do say, without apology and with absolute dogmatism, that unless you've been born again, you're not going to heaven. It's absolutely necessary in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. Now, the second birth is a spiritual birth that brings about the emergence of a new person, that brings about a new life. If any man is in Christ, the Bible says he is a new creation. Oh, you have the same body. You have the same face. You have the same name. You have the same passport. You have the same fingerprints. You have even the same temperament but you are a different person. Now, if you were an extrovert before you were born again, you'll be an extrovert after you were born again, though you may be easier to live with. (laughs) If you were an introvert before you were born again, you'll be an introvert after you were born again, though you may be easier to live with yourself. You have the same personality, but you have a new life, a new heart, That is, we'll see next time, it will change your attitudes, your actions, your behavior, your motives. There's a new awareness of the things of God. The Spirit bears witness, Paul says, with your spirit that you've become a child of God. Is that true of you today? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with you that there's been a change on the inside? Or is it just the same old, same old? Now, I hope you're listening to what the Lord is saying, because one birth is not enough. If you've been born once and you die having been born once, the Bible says you will die twice, first physically, then spiritually. And anyone's name who is not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if you are not born again, there will come a time in your life when you will wish that you were never born at all. That's how serious this is. This chapter will close in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son, because eternal life brings a change of kingdoms. You come under the reign of the King. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. You say, I don't totally understand the second birth. Well, we need to remember that the second birth is not simply a spiritual birth, but I want you to also to note that the second birth is a mysterious birth. Jesus taught that here in verse 8. There's a certain mystery to it. The wind blows, he said, where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, it's not by accident that the Greek word for wind and the Greek word for Spirit are identical. And the Lord is making a comparison here to the ways of the Holy Spirit and the ways of wind. Both are invisible. Neither can be controlled by man, or for that matter, neither fully understood. Now, we think we know with all of our modern instruments how wind totally operates. They told us two weeks ago that Jeannie was going to be eaten up by Hurricane Lisa, and we didn't have anything to worry about. And here it is upon the south in this morning. They said uh, that Ivan was gone and it would never come back. And then Ivan, too, showed its ugly head. Nicodemus, tell me where the wind comes from and where it goes. You hear it, you see it, you feel it, but you don't understand it. Don't try to figure it out all, Nicodemus. You can't fully explain the wind. No more than you can fully explain the working of the Holy Spirit. Listen, friend. Don't be surprised that with your little puny finite mind that you cannot fully explain the infinite God. So is everyone, Jesus said, who is born of the Spirit. Those who have been born again, those who have been born twice, are not fully understood by those who have been born just once. Einstein feared that he would die before he understood electricity. To this day, we know how it operates, but we cannot fully explain it yet we use it all the time. Likewise, I cannot explain all of the wonder and mystery of the second birth, but I can tell you how to get it and how wonderful it is. Nicodemus answered verse 9 and said to him, How can these things be? Please tell me, Jesus, I don't know. Now he's moved from where he was. His first question was, how can a man be born twice? It concerned the possibility of a second birth. His second question deals with the process Of this new birth. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now the Greek text does not say a teacher. The article is present. The teacher. Suggesting that Nicodemus is a teacher of teachers. Today we might say, Are you the reverend professor, doctor, and you don't know? Jesus implies that he could have known. Had he seen it in the Old Testament, because there it's promised Now, there's a certain mystery to the new birth, which is implied with the metaphor of birth itself. Nobody has ever been his own own parent. Nobody ever gave birth to himself. No, birth takes place as a result of the prior initiative of the parents. Even so, spiritual birth takes place at the prior initiative of God. It's not from below, it's from above. That's the mystery of the second birth third I want you to notice that the spiritual birth is also a real birth it may be a mystery but nonetheless it is real now Nicodemus is silenced at this point and so the dialogue becomes a monologue notice verse 11 truly truly I say to you that's the third time he uses that expression in the conversation we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you do not receive our witness Now notice, if you would, the plural verbs, actually four times in the original, shows itself at least three times here. We speak, we know, we bear witness, we have seen, and then he speaks of our witness. Who is Jesus identifying himself with? with all of the Old Testament prophets who spoke of the second birth. Just read Ezekiel. Just read Jeremiah and the promise of a new covenant that God made that this teacher of Israel should have been familiar with. We speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen. And you, you is in the plural. This is where I love the old King James because it distinguishes plural and singular. Unlike our English word, you, it can only be seen in context. And you might not pick it up here. But you, it's in the plural, and the NIV paraphrases it to give us the sense you people, you Nicodemus and the Jews at large, don't receive the witness. See, that's the real problem. It's a problem of unbelief. Spoke to a man this week. I don't accept the Bible. You know why I didn't accept it? Because he was in unbelief. You know why I was in unbelief? Jesus will show us next time because he loved his sin, the woman he was living with outside of the bonds of marriage, more than he loved God. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is referring to this conversation with Nicodemus. Look at this birth. In one sense, it's from above, but in the other sense, it's earthly. What do you mean it's earthly? Because it happens right here on planet Earth. It can be seen right here. And so in essence, he's saying, Nicodemus, if you will not believe the simpler things, how can you believe the more advanced things? If you stumble over the elementary points of entry into the kingdom of God, then how will I be able to explain to you about things in the life to come in this coming kingdom? And indeed, he wants him to know that he speaks with absolute authority. Notice verse 13. And no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Jesus is saying that I can speak with heaven, heavenly authority, with authority on heavenly things, because no one has ever gone up into heaven and come down and explained it all. I mean, have you ever been to heaven and come back to tell me what it's like? Hmm? Hmm? The Lord Jesus, He didn't ascend into heaven and come back. This is what makes Him different, even from Paul, who had a vision. He descended from heaven because His home was in heaven. He came from heaven to earth. And so He speaks with absolute authority and conviction. Now I know there's these wackos today, oh I had a vision of heaven, I had this outer body experience, that is sheer folly and nonsense, don't believe what they say, because the Bible teaches otherwise. They may have had a satanic, delusionary experience, but not an experience from God. His whole point is he wants Nicodemus to know that this is real. That the new birth is very real. It's not a fantasy. The son of man who came from heaven is authoritatively telling you of the realness. It's not a problem of authority with the truth he believes. It's a problem with those who hear it as to whether they will believe it. Now that brings us to the final point. There's the need for the second birth. We've thought about the nature of the second birth. Finally, let's consider the necessities of the second birth. Why is it absolute? What are the necessities for this second birth to take place? Well, number one, it was necessary for Christ to die. There's both the divine and a human side in terms of necessities. The first necessity was for Christ to die. The Lord Jesus doesn't leave this man hanging. He takes him back to his Old Testament, which he knew as a teacher of Israel. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. Now, the illustration comes from Numbers 21. Let me familiarize you with that. You might want to write in the margin Numbers 21, 4 through 9, because this man knew the Scripture, and so he uses the Scripture that would help him to understand. Verse 4, they set out from Mount Hor, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, he set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now God brought judgment on these people because of their unbelief. They rebelled against God's supernatural provision. And so poisonous snakes came through the camp of some two million plus, People were sick, and many had already died. And it's an illustration of the truth in the New Testament that the wages of sin is indeed death. They admit they are sinful. They cry out to God for mercy. They go to the one who intercedes on their behalf at this point, Moses. God said, make a serpent in the likeness of the one that bit them. Fiery serpents, red serpents, reddish in color, and they bit with fire. Make one in the likeness that bit them. So he makes a reddish serpent out of bronze. And the text says he set it high in a pole. Why up in a pole? Because God wanted everyone to see. God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And God said that whoever would look at my provision, they would instantly be healed. And there was only one way of salvation for every snake-bitten Israelite. Now, I think it's worth noting here that the solution to the problem is not to kill the serpents. The solution to the problem is not to take some kind of medicine. The solution to the problem is not pretending the serpents are not there. The solution to the problem is not to pass some kind of anti-serpent law or to try to struggle up and climb the pole. No, the solution was to look and live. And the Lord Jesus uses that as an illustration. And every snake-bitten Israelite who looked instantly was healed. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, you and I are sinners. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We have all been bitten, though, with a different serpent. By the devil, he's called the God of this world. And the Bible teaches he has a right to your throat, soul. But someone else came and redeemed you. He shed his blood that justice might be satisfied. And he provided a solution that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes may in him have life. Nothing you can do. You've been bitten by sin. You can try hard as you will. You can ignore the problem and say it's really not a problem. But unless you look and live to the one lifted up on the cross, you will die. And many of those people in those tents, I'm sure, thought it was absolute foolishness because the Bible tells us many did not believe. Many chose not to believe and they died and they perished. And so it's not enough for Christ to have died. Oh, that was necessary. God cannot indiscriminately forgive sin. God must be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so it was also necessary for the sinner to believe. Every snake bitten Israelite had to look and live. Oh, the old hymn writer said, There is life for a look at the crucified one, there is life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto Christ and be saved unto Christ who was nailed to the tree. Now to some people, the message I preached, the message of the cross, the Bible said, would be foolishness. To other people, the Bible said it would be a stumbling block. But to those who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation that whoever believes may in him have eternal life it's not found in this church in this pastor in some religious act it is found in the lord jesus christ who took your place now two questions as we close by way of application number one where are you looking are you imagining that somehow you can save yourself are you looking to a priest to a pastor to a church to a baptism to a rabbi or are you looking under the lord jesus christ where are you looking? I want to tell you, you're looking somewhere. You've either come and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and come into his kingdom, or you're still in the kingdom of darkness. There's no in-between. You're either saved or you're lost. You can't be 50% saved. You can't be 75% saved. You're either headed straight for hell or headed straight for heaven. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's what Augustus Toplady said in 1776, and it is still true. Where are you looking? Secondly, I would ask, where are you pointing? Are you pointing men to Jesus Christ? If you have been saved, you have good news, and good news is for sharing. Oh, I don't have a cure for AIDS or MS or cancer or some other horrible disease, but I do have a cure for eternal death and it is eternal life found through the Lord Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're all going out these doors and you'll either go out those doors saved or lost. Now look up here, don't rattle your papers, please listen. You'll either leave those doors saved or lost based on what you do with Christ. You say, I'm not going to do anything with them today. Well, that's your choice. No one can force your hand. But I would lovingly remind you that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. If you understand that you're a sinner, that in the the eyes of an infinitely holy God that you are bankrupt, that you can do absolutely nothing, and that Christ did it for you, then you have everything that you need to know in order to become a Christian. And if you choose not to believe today, what you'll be basically saying, God, you said today is the day of salvation, but I'm not going to do what you say. And you harden your heart towards God instead of coming under his kingdom reign. So what will you do? Now our father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to open the Word of God together. Thank you that you have not left the new birth in a way that man's way of salvation is hid. You've made it clear how we can be born again to look and to live. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have life everlasting. I wonder how many here this morning can say, Pastor, there's not a doubt in my mind. I know that I am saved. In fact, the Spirit bears witness with my human spirit that at a point in time in my life, I received Christ as my Savior. I know I'm born again. Furthermore, I have publicly confessed it by baptism, and I am a member of a New Testament church. If you can say that, would you raise your hand this morning? All right, the rest of you, put them down, please. Now, many of you could not raise your hand. Maybe because you've never been born again. But you're not hateful towards the Lord. You're not antagonistic towards Him. He is wooing you to Himself. And He loves you and wants you to be saved. And you can be saved today. God couldn't say today is a day of salvation if it were earned. No, it is the gift of God. The Bible says if you could earn it, Christ died in vain. Now, he did for you what you can never do unless you spend an eternity doing it and paying for your own sin in hell. He wants to save you today. And God's spirit who's at work today might not be at work this afternoon. And so I wonder if in simple faith today, you would say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Thank you for dying in my place and taking my punishment. As the risen Lord, I ask you to save me. Would you do that? Would you come under his reign today? Would you say, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, save me? Lord, I know you cannot lie. Your word says it's impossible for you to lie. So I thank you in faith that you saved me. Now help me to make it public before men that I might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Father, help us who know the Lord Jesus and love him to have our lips open to a lost world. Thank you for those individuals or persons that were faithful to us to care enough about our soul to tell us of why Christ came. Help us to be as faithful for those all around us soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. And we ask it for the honor of your Son's name. Amen.
1: If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John 007. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, please click the Give button on our app or visit searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.